We have been in 1 Corinthians since August of 2020, and we've got some more to go, but there's a light at the end of this tunnel. I hope it hasn't been that dark for you. Uh, This is the Word of God after all, but there is uh, an end to this letter, and we're approaching it, but Paul has a lot to say to this church, and he has a lot to say to our church about Jesus Christ and His resurrection. Paul, of course, is addressing the future resurrection of all believers, because there were some in Corinth, perhaps many in Corinth, who denied this reality, that Christians would rise again one day in bodily form. And this has implications. You might start thinking about that particular issue and think, well, who could really know? Is it really that big of a deal? Maybe we won't resurrect. Maybe we'll just be immaterial spirits for all eternity. What's the big deal? Well, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us this is a very big deal. It's a very big deal. This is a primary issue, the future resurrection of all people, but especially believers. And so, that's what our passage today is about. And why don't I read the passage? I'll start at verse 13, read verses 13 to 19, and then I'll pray. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 13. Paul argues, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless." you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Lord, this is a serious text you've placed before us. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a serious event, the most serious event in all of human history. God, give us a reverence for Your Word. Give us a sincerity, a genuine desire to understand more about who You are and what You've done and what You're doing in the world. Please give us just a a bigger and better and, and a more informed understanding of the gospel that as we go through this life and you grow us by your grace through this life, that we would just each day know you a little more and a little more. God, we thank you that one day we will cross the river. We will see death swallowed up in victory. And we will see our Savior. We thank you for that promise. And we thank you that one day, We will be resurrected. We will be changed. And that we will live in eternity, for eternity, with you, never again subject to any of the sin, any of the wickedness that comes with this fallen world. But all things will be made new. Lord, what a day that will be. And God, we ask in the meantime 
that you would keep our eyes fixed on you, that with this vapor of a life that you've given us, we would seek to honor you in every way. And here this morning in our time together, as we look into this particular passage, we ask that you would teach us, instruct us by your Spirit, that I would not get in the way of your word, but that you would anoint me to preach your word faithfully, that your word would be clear to your people, that we would all grow in Christ together. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're following along in your notes, you can see that the first question I'm seeking to answer for us this morning is, what is at stake if the dead do not rise? If there is no future resurrection, then what is at stake? Well, again, just glance at our text here today. You see, Paul starts in a very important place in verses 13 and verse 16. It says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. Verse 16, if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. If the dead will never rise, then what happened to Jesus? He's not living. He's not resurrected. If the dead will never rise, then not even Christ has been raised, Paul says. And this is a very solemn place to begin in understanding what Paul is saying to this church and what God is saying to us today. Now, there are alternative theories to the resurrection. There are people out there who believe that Jesus did, in fact, walk the face of the earth, but deny that He rose again. People will say that His body was stolen. People will say that uh, the grave is just unknown, and we don't know where it is, but the bones are out there somewhere. And there are people who even deny that Jesus existed, even though He is the most well-attested to man of all antiquity. They would say He never existed, at least in tangible form. Now, there's plenty of evidence against all of that, and we won't go into all of that today. Perhaps later on in this chapter we will. But there are people who have those alternative theories. What's interesting about the Corinthians is they were believers in Jesus Christ. They believed that Christ rose again. They believed in the resurrection of Christ. But apparently, there was a significant portion of them who started to believe that there would be no future resurrection for us. And Paul's saying you can't have both of those. You can't have both. You can't say Christ was raised, but we will never be raised. You can't do that. That's not how it works. This is a major problem, Paul is saying, if you claim Jesus Christ, the living Christ. I want to start with this quote from Thomas Schreiner. I think this is an amazing uh, quote that captures what's at stake. He asks, what's the rationale underlying this connection for Paul? It is the notion that believers are in Christ. Thus, his destiny is their destiny. Remember that. Okay, keep that with you through the passage today. We are in Christ. We are so united to Christ that His destiny is our destiny. And if Christ has not been raised, we will not be raised. And if we will not be raised, that means Christ hasn't been raised because His destiny is our destiny if we are in Him. They were saying, no, we believe Christ is, has been raised, but, but we won't be. And Paul says, these two things are the same. You're either both resurrected or neither. So Paul says in verse 14, if that's the case, 
that Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith also is in vain. And he goes on to explain those two elements in more detail. In verse 15, in reference to the preaching, our preaching, it says in verse 14, verse 15 says, moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. So you might have asked in verse 14, how could the, how could the apostolic preaching, notice he says our preaching, it's plural. How could that be compromised if Jesus did not resurrect? Well, Paul tells us in verse 15, because that would make him and the other apostles false witnesses for Jesus Christ, false witnesses for God Himself. It is utterly compromised. The apostolic teaching is utterly compromised if Jesus did not rise from the dead. And how important is apostolic teaching? in the Christian life? How important is the teaching of Peter, Paul, John, James, and so on? How important is it? Let me give you a couple of verses. The first one is Acts 2.42. The early church gathered together. What was the early church doing? They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Four elements that the early church focused on as they gathered together. And notice the first one, the apostles' teaching. That is what Christians are devoted to. God has chosen apostles in the past and spoken through them a written word that has been preserved for us today. What are we, what are we reading? What are we studying? What are we hearing from today? Apostolic teaching. And Paul says, you would have to throw it all out because we would be false witnesses. In 1 Corinthians, this very book, chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says this of his ministry in 1 Corinthians 4, 1, that he is a steward of the mysteries of God. We have that one back there, 1 Corinthians 4, 1. We're in the book. We could just turn a couple pages, I suppose. But let a man regard us in this manner, Paul says, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. They were stewards of God's mysteries that were made known to us, made known to us. And in the previous chapter, if you just turn back perhaps one page, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37, look how direct this is. Paul says, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. If Christ did not resurrect, Paul's lying in that very statement. Because Paul bases his whole teaching ministry on the resurrected Christ. The whole whole canon rests on whether or not Jesus is alive if He rose again. Because the apostles' teaching is Christian teaching. What the apostles have taught is what Christianity is. Let's examine this even further. I want you to get the weight of what Paul is saying. What do we lose if the dead are not raised? If there is no future resurrection, what do we lose? Well, it means that Christ hasn't been raised, and it means that all of those gospels that refer to the resurrection of Christ, you got to throw them out. How many of the four refer to the resurrection of Christ? All four. 
That and feeding the 5,000 are the only two miracles recorded in all four Gospels. The resurrection of Christ is recorded in each one of them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those Gospels, they're gone. You can't trust them. They're false witnesses of God if the dead are not raised. How many letters did Paul write? Thirteen is the answer. All thirteen of Paul's letters, gone. Book of Romans, gone. This book we've been going through for a year and a half, gone. All of Paul's letters you have to throw out. Some people may say, well, John had other works, the Apostle John. It wasn't just the gospel that he wrote. What about his other works? Have you read Revelation 1 through 3? Who's speaking? If you have a red letter Bible, you'll notice much of those first three chapters is red letters because a living Christ was speaking to John. In fact, there in Revelation 1, John describes physical features of the living Christ, and he says that Christ put his right hand upon him. And Christ said specifically to John in the book of Revelation, I was dead, but now I am alive forevermore. All the books of John, all the letters of John, they got to be gone if the dead are not raised. What about Peter? Oh, oh yes. Peter mentions the resurrection multiple occasions talks about the resurrection of Christ. Peter's gone. What about the book of Acts? Luke recorded, it's just a historical record of the book of Acts. Who's right there at the beginning of chapter 1 of the book of Acts? The Christ who had just risen from the dead. And what's the content of the preaching throughout the book of Acts? The living Christ. Book of Acts has to go. James and Jude, though, these guys, they were the half-brothers of Jesus. James and Jude. Did they really believe in a future resurrection? The opening verses of James and Jude both start with slaves of Jesus Christ. And they weren't talking about slaves to a grave. They had a living master. Their brother had become their master. And do you know what James and Jude both talk about too? The second coming of Christ. How could Christ come from the clouds if He hasn't walked out of the grave? They believed that Jesus rose again. You'd have to throw them out if the dead are not raised. Some will point to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews doesn't talk about the resurrection, they say. It doesn't mention the resurrection. Oh, no. Oh, no. Maybe Hebrews would be left then. Well, Hebrews 1, the opening verses, it says in Hebrews 1, 3, that Jesus, after He made purification for sins, and where did He, have, where did he make purification for sins? The cross. And that meant that He died. After he made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. How do you get someplace else and sit down if you died? Because not only did he rise again, he ascended to heaven, and he's at the right hand of the Father. The book of Hebrews has to go. Oh, and if we want to go back to the Old Testament, David prophesied a resurrection. You will not let your Holy One see decay, Psalm 16, verse 10. All David's got to go. He's a false witness of God if the dead are not raised. In Daniel, chapter 12, verse 2, Daniel said that there would be a resurrection, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. Daniel's got to go too. What do you have left of the, the teaching of the Bible? Not much. Not much if the dead are not raised. See, because if the dead are not raised, then Christ hasn't been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, 
erase this scripture. Start tearing it out. And there are some liberal Christians out there who claim the name of Christ and deny His resurrection. Does Paul leave any room for that sort of belief? Not at all. Not at all. Because if Christ hasn't been raised, there is no Christianity. If Jesus died only, we have no saving faith. We don't have truth. Because, lest I forget, Jesus Himself said He would rise from the dead. you got to get rid of Jesus too. This false witness stuff is very important because false witnesses can totally change the outcome of certain cases, can't they? I was just reading this week about a man in Philadelphia who last month, he walked out of prison for the first time in 37 years. He was in prison for 37 years. He was convicted of murder based on one key witness. This one key witness at the time that he made his statement was also in prison, guilty of murder, and some dirty investigators came by and said, we'll get you this, we'll get you that if you pipe up and you say that you heard this guy say he killed her. And so he did. He lied based on a bribe. And after 37 years, that key witness finally recanted and said it was a lie. And the other man was able to walk free because of the false witness. And lest you start thinking, well, maybe the apostles were all bribed, and that's why they're all lying about the resurrection of Christ. They were promised death, and they endured death and suffering because of what they believed. And they did not budge on this issue. Christ was raised. They are not false witnesses. They are God's witnesses. And notice too in this verse, verse 15, I just found this to be interesting, that Paul doesn't even entertain the idea of atheism. This verse could say, moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because there actually is no God if the dead are not raised. But he doesn't even go there. He doesn't even entertain the idea of a godless world. He says there is a God and we would be false witnesses of that one true God if the dead are not raised. But instead, the dead are raised, and they are true witnesses. So the first thing we would lose if the dead are not raised is the apostolic testimony. Second thing we would lose is the forgiveness of sins. It would be totally compromised. Forgiveness of sins as the basis of our faith. Verse 17, drop down to verse 17 with me. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. You, you are still in your sins and your faith is worthless. Not only would your faith be rendered vain, and we see that back up in verse 14, that the faith would be vain, but he gives us a second word. This is a different word, the word worthless. The word for vain is the word kenos. It means without substance. Your faith would be substanceless is basically what he's saying. Your faith would be without purpose. And this word for worthless is matthias, meaning some sort of man-centered speculation. Your faith would just be a myth. It would just be a speculative thing. It would just be a coin flip. Maybe, maybe not. 
What Paul here is saying to them is that if the dead are not raised and Christ, therefore, has not been raised, then your faith is reduced to a myth that you utter to yourself as some sort of therapy. And there are lots of people in the world who do that. There are lots of people in the world whose religion is just that. It's a myth. It's a worthless, vain myth. And the best that it is for them is just some sort of humanistic therapy because it's just made up. It's all psychological. And wouldn't that be a pitiful state? Paul says, that's you if there is no future resurrection for you, because that means Christ hasn't been raised, and there is no truth that you're latched onto, just some sort of worthless myth. David Lowry, one commentator, talking about this very idea, he says, if that was the case, no resurrection, the Corinthian salvation would be only a state of mind with no correspondence to reality. And there are a lot of people who are in that very state because they're not united to the living Christ, and their faith is just a state of mind. But not so with the Christian faith. Christ has been raised, and He has been. Then this is reality, not just a figment of our imagination. But Paul goes on in his reasoning, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. And then this other phrase, you are still in your sins. How could this be, you might ask? Didn't Christ pay for our sins on the cross? What does the resurrection have to do with this? Christ made purification for sins. That happened on the cross, didn't it? Well, let me give you a verse. This is Romans 4.25. You do very well to remember this verse. Jesus was delivered over because of our transgressions, and listen to this, He was raised because of our justification. His resurrection, His coming back from the dead is tied to the fact that we are declared innocent in God's sight. Because Jesus was raised, we can be declared innocent. If Jesus was not raised, we could no longer be innocent in God's eyes. We would still be in our sins. The two are connected. And perhaps you could think of it this way. On Friday, Good Friday, Jesus wrote the check on the cross. He paid our debt, didn't He? But then on Sunday, He cashed it. God's bank is open on Sunday. He wrote the check. He paid the price on Friday. And when He rose from the dead, that validated the work on the cross. Because if He would have remained dead, then what did He do on the cross? Well, He did the same thing as the two thieves He was hanged between. But because He rose again, His death is different. Because He rose again, His death has an effect, a lasting effect. Because He rose again, our sins are truly washed away. The resurrection validated the cross. Without the empty tomb, we have no debt payment. But because of the resurrection, we see a validation of that debt payment on the cross. But if the dead are not raised, Paul says, you are still in your sins. And this is a most terrifying condition. You have to recognize the gravity of this. I hope you do. I think most of you do. Because this truly is the basis of our faith, that we're forgiven. Paul says if the dead are not going to be raised, then Christ hasn't been raised and you're not forgiven. 
you are still in your sin. You're still under the condemnation and wrath of God, Paul is saying. And this means that you're perishing. You're not being renewed in the inward man day by day, as Paul will say in his next letter to the Corinthians. But you're perishing with the rest of the world because you're still in your sins. You're without salvation and you're without hope. If the dead are not raised, we lose forgiveness of sins as the basis of our faith. And the third thing that we lose, if the dead are not raised, we lose all Christian hope. All Christian hope has to be forfeited, has to be just totally considered compromised if the dead are not raised. Look at what Paul says in verses 18 and 19. He says, if the dead are not raised and Christ has not been raised, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Those fellow Christians who died, Paul says, they're not in heaven. If the dead are not raised, meaning Christ hasn't been raised, Christians don't go to heaven. They're being destroyed. That's what this word means. They're being destroyed now on the other side. Now, notice Paul's phrasing. He says, those who have fallen asleep in Christ... This is the phrase that the New Testament uses for the Christian death because it's true that Christ rose from the dead. Therefore, when we die, it's just like falling asleep. We're not subject to the fear of death anymore, but we are absent from the body and present with the Lord. We are very much alive when this body stops breathing. But Paul, again, for the sake of argument, is saying, okay, well, if that's the case, those who we thought had fallen asleep in Christ... They are perishing. Without Christ's resurrection, death remains a terror over us. Without our hope of a future resurrection, death is a terror over us. And you recognize that for everybody in the world, this is what the book of Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 2, for everybody in the world, death is a terror, except for Christians. We have hope. We have true hope. But you take away resurrection, you're scared of death again. You have no reason to have confidence in your victory over death. You have no victory over death. Death is still ruling over you. And notice, too, Paul's reasoning, just to make a footnote, Paul's reasoning here leaves no room for second chances. Paul says in verse 18, that those who have died in Christ have perished. He doesn't say, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have started to believe in something else on the other side. He doesn't say that, does he? And that's because the teaching of Scripture, this is Hebrews 9.27, the teaching of Scripture is this, it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes judgment. Death, judgment. No second chance. We've been given this one life. God has given us this life only to be made right with Him. There are no changes later. And if Christ has been raised, and He has, then we are made right with Him in this life, and no man can change that, and it won't be changed on the other side. But for those who reject Christ, 
There is no second chance later. You start perishing. You begin perishing as you face a judgment from God. But if Christ hasn't been raised, then all of that's hogwash. If there is no resurrection, then you can erase that from your theology because, verse 19, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. We're not a hopeful people. We're a pitiful people if the dead are not raised. We're not a joyful people. We're a dark, gloomy people. We have some outward expression of some happiness, but inward, we're just rotting if the dead are not raised. We are wretched, miserable people, especially Paul and the fellow apostles. Think of all they gave up. Think of all they endured for the cause of Jesus Christ. And if he died just like everybody else and he died only, what a waste of life. Paul, Peter, James, John, all the disciples, and for thousands of years now, those who have become the disciples of Jesus Christ have just wasted their lives if the dead are not raised. Because we as Christians have hoped in Christ only. They say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. But we've done that with Jesus. We've put it all on Jesus. We've put all our faith in Jesus. We've hung everything we have on this resurrection event. And if we don't have a resurrection of Christ, we have no hope. We've wasted it. We've lost it all. We're we're miserable. We're pitiful. Because Jesus is it for us. The dead are not raised. We are of all men most to be pitied. And now I love the next verse in light of all of that. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. It's an amazing thing. This section of the passage reminds me of some of our songs that we sing, even one that we sang here this morning. A lot of our songs leading up to the proclamation of the resurrection of Christ, they get quieter, they get somber, they get dark, and then they come bursting forth with light when talking about the resurrection. There in the ground His body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. And we sit in that for just a moment, don't we? Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. I love singing songs like that, don't you? I love singing those lines. I love, I love shouting, up from the grave he rose again. Because that's our faith. That's everything to us. Without that reality, we don't have anything else. In the song, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, my guilt and cross laid on your shoulders, In my place, you suffered, bled, and died. You rose, the grave and death are conquered. You broke my bonds of sin and shame. And because we have those verses, because we have that reality, we have 
this debt payment on our behalf, and we're free, we're forgiven in Christ. The song we sung this morning, Come behold the wondrous mystery, slain by death, the God of life. But no grave could ever restrain him. Praise the Lord, he is alive. I love those songs. I love that reality that we can sing that together with cheerful heart, encouraged heart, and confident heart. Notice when Paul says this in verse 20, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. He says it like it's just a fact of history. He doesn't say, based on my studies, I've concluded that Christ must have been resurrected. That's not what he says. He says, based on the evidence, you make the call. Heaven forbid. He says, this is a reality for everyone. This is a fact of life. Christ is alive. And it validates what would have been questioned above. Apostolic teaching, forgiveness of sins, Christian hope. It validates all of that. Because the the verb tense that this is in, look again at verse 20, Christ has been raised. It's in the perfect tense in the Greek, which is a little bit different than the tenses that we have. It's a past tense with an ongoing effect. Christ has been raised. It's a fact of history. It happened, but it affects you right now, Paul is saying. It affects everybody right now. Christ has been raised. Therefore, we have the apostles' teaching in the New Testament. All those books you were ready to tear out earlier, put them back in. Christ has been raised, and we have His witnesses communicating His Word to us. We have the Bible. We have the New Testament as a source of truth, as a source of hope, as a source of instruction. We have total and utter forgiveness of sins, absolute forgiveness of sins, not 99%, not 50-50, 100% forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future, because Jesus Christ is alive. And we have absolute hope. We don't have some hope. We don't have the most hope. We have the hope. We have the capital H hope, Jesus Christ, who lives within our hearts, who lives at the right hand of the majesty on high who governs all things by His power, holding all things together, calling men from every tribe, tongue, and nation, redeeming them as a people for Himself, for His kingdom. We have all of that because He's not in the grave. If He was still in the grave, we lose it all. We lose every aspect of our faith. And this is all just a preview of what's to come. We'll just touch on this very briefly and pick it up next week. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. He's the firstfruits. Christ was the first, and those who died in Him are next. He was given as the firstfruits of resurrection, and there's a resurrection harvest coming. Those who have hoped in Christ will one day rise again by His power for His glory. And again, Thomas Schreiner, what's the rationale underlying this connection? It's the notion that believers are in Christ, thus His destiny is their destiny. Where Jesus is, there you're going. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? Let's pray. God, we thank you that we speak to the living God.
that we sing to the living God, that we hear from the living God. Lord, you are so awesome, majestic, powerful, and we rely on you alone. We have put everything on Jesus Christ because not only did he die, but he rose again. And you've given us this message of hope. You've given us this faith that we might grow in you through this life, know you more and more, and that we might take it out to a lost and dying world, a crooked and perverse generation. This only message of hope, the only message that can save. God, we thank you for the testimony of Jesus that you've put on our lips. We ask that you would cultivate it, kindle that fire within, that we would grow in our love for you and in our passion to reach the lost because you rose again. In Jesus' name, amen.